0: One of the things we emphasize in CFC churches is that God gives grace only to the humble. And if a person doesn't get grace, the clear answer is, whatever he may think about himself, God doesn't think he's humble. And the Bible says in Romans 6.14, the mark of somebody who gets grace is that sin cannot rule over him. Sin and me are in competition. Who's going to be the ruler? Sin and you are in competition. Who's going to win? Is sin going to win? Or are you going to win? And sin can be in words, thoughts, attitudes, motives. Who's going to win? If you get grace... Romans 6.14 says, sin cannot win. So I have followed this rule for many years in my life that anytime I slip up thought, word, deed, attitude to somebody, motive, I say, Lord, I didn't get grace this time. And then I don't need to know why I didn't get grace. I was proud. Then I need to ask myself, where was I proud? Show me. And God will show us. If he, it's a simple rule. It's like two plus two is four. It's never five. It's never six. It's always four. And the humble will always receive grace. They'll never miss it out. It's as accurate as two plus two is four. And Romans six fourteen. Anyone who gets grace overcomes sin. That's like two plus two is four. If you understand this, so then the question comes: What is humility? Who do you think, I mean, you know many brothers and sisters here. Who do you think is the humblest person in this room right now? It's not me. (laughs) Whoever is, uh, is there a young baby here somewhere? A newly born one who is the youngest baby here? That's the one who is the humblest person in this room. Because Jesus said that, you know that story. Uh, you know that verse in Matthew 18 where Jesus said, Whoever humbles himself, and he took an example. He didn't say like me. Jesus was such a humble person. There was zero pride in him. But he didn't say whoever is humble like me. He said whoever humbles himself, Matthew 184, like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I took that seriously many years ago and I meditated on what does it mean to be a child. I'm not talking about a one-year-old child. A one-year-old child is already, you know, stubborn and arrogant and all types of things. I'm talking about a newly born baby just out of the womb. It's got no high thoughts about itself. If you go and hurt it, it doesn't have any grudge against you. It won't remember it tomorrow that you pinched it today. It's amazing. You meditate on a little baby and then you discover what humility is. You go and praise this newborn baby lying in the cradle. Oh, you're so beautiful. It doesn't get proud. That's our goal. Somebody comes and tells you you're very spiritual or you're very good looking or you're very clever and it doesn't even make you proud. If you haven't got there, meditate on the baby. And as I said, you go and hurt the baby today in anger. You come back tomorrow, he'll smile at you. That's humility. Zero grudge. Never remembers past evil that other people has done to it. Does not get puffed up when somebody praises it. We got a long way to go. Meditate on a baby. It's written in scripture. But I fear, and I'm not saying this to condemn anyone, that we read the Bible too fast. One of the things I've encouraged people in our churches back home is, read the Bible slowly. Because the Bible says, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord. Whatever he does will prosper. Whatever he does will prosper. I tell you, I wanted to prosper. I'm not talking about spiritual uh, material prosperity. Materially, I only ask God to provide me what I need. Seek kingdom of God first in his righteousness and he will add you all that you need and I don't want more than I need. I may ruin myself. But what does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? I believe for a family's humility because he said he who humbles himself as a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So <clears throat> I used to be confused by the word glory. We heard the word glory in the first message today. Glory. The glory of God. Moses' face shone with the glory of God. And for many years, um, I used to think the glory of God is some bright light. Show me your glory. Moses' face shone with glory. It was a bright light. But, you know, I to tell you honestly, I'm not particularly keen that my face should shine with a bright light it'll terrify people. When Moses went around, it terrified everybody. I'm not really keen on that. It was an Old Testament thing. Lord, you know, show me, what does glory mean? I tell you, I prayed that. And I discovered it's the same prayer that Moses prayed. And God answered it. So... I don't have to look far to get the answer what is the glory of God Exodus please look at this verse if you don't have the habit of looking at scripture please look at this one at least Moses prayed in Exodus 33 verse 18 I pray you show me your glory Isn't that a good prayer to pray? Lord, show me your glory. And let me paraphrase verse 19. His answer. My goodness. That's my glory. It's not any bright light. It's just the goodness of God. Brother, sister, I'm not asking you whether you can overcome dirty thoughts. Let's Leave that to a postgraduate level. Can you be good to people? Can you be good? Let's start with kindergarten stuff. Can you be good to people? Maybe you haven't overcome anger yet, but can you be kind to people? Can we start there? See, I think a lot of people are trying to get postgraduate degrees before we haven't passed the kindergarten. Let's start with goodness. It's easy. To be good to somebody who's been bad to you. Teach your children to be good. Holiness is first of all, goodness. I beseech you, Lord, show me your glory. It's my goodness, my son, my daughter. You want to see it? You want to have it? It's goodness. That is the life of Jesus. It's not a light. It's got nothing to do with light. A lot of times I used to think it was like that. Turn now to the New Testament, where again it speaks about the glory of God, the word we heard in the beginning. Luke, sorry, John chapter 1. The reason I turn you to scripture is, I'll tell you, from the time I was born again, uh, 64 years ago, I thank God that the Holy Spirit drove me to the book, to the Bible. And by the time I left my naval service, seven years later, I had really studied this book. Day and night. My, if you look at my first Bible, it's full of notes in every page. Because I knew there was only one book in the whole world that God had written. And if there's only one book in the whole world that God had written and I want to have a relationship with God, that's the book I must study. If you believe that, you would study the Bible. If you don't study the Bible, I'll tell you honestly, you don't believe that that's the only book God has written. You read the news on the internet. Nothing wrong in that. (laughs) But if that's more important to you than the one book God has written, no wonder your spiritual life is so shallow. No wonder you get angry so quickly. No wonder you're so defeated. No wonder you can't overcome that wrong attitude you have towards someone. You believe the news every day is more important than the Bible. God says, okay. Read the news and see how much victory over sin you get. I'm not against reading the news. I always read the headlines. One of the things God said to me is, read the headlines. You don't need to know all the details. Sometimes you do, but read the headlines. <laughs> you need to know what's happening around. I'll tell you where I got that. I got that from Jesus. There's a place in Luke's Gospel where it says, when they said to Jesus that about the... Uh, Pilate who killed some Galileans, Jesus said about a tower, it fell in Siloam and so many people were killed. How did Jesus know the exact number of people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell? He knew the news. So I, I, I think if Jesus were living uh, in our time, he would know when the Twin Towers fell and how many people died there. So there's nothing wrong in knowing that. But that was not the most important thing for him. He would seek to hear God's word every day. So here's another verse. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word that is God, it says in the first verse, the word is God. And this word, John 1, 1, the word is God. Verse 14, this word became flesh came in human form. That's what it means. And we saw his glory. There again the word, glory. We got one definition of glory from God telling Moses, my glory is my goodness. Now here's another. We saw his glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, again, these are Spiritual words, grace and truth. Goodness we can understand. But grace and truth, and truth here means reality. I want a little simpler explanation, like a little child. What did Jesus do with his life of grace and truth? Can you sum it up in one word, one sentence? I'll tell you how somebody summed it up who walked with him for three and a half years. The Apostle Peter when he wants to sum up the life of Jesus full of the glory of God a life full of the glory of God and the apostle Peter wants to sum it up in one sentence here's what he says Acts chapter 10 he was in the house of Cornelius and he was telling Cornelius about Jesus Cornelius did not know about Jesus Peter knew Jesus. He had walked closely with him for three and a half years. And he says, Acts 10, he was telling Cornelius in verse 38, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's another thing we heard of today. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. What a powerful word that is. And power. What is the result? He did goodness. It was back to goodness again. He went about doing good. So as I said, before we go to the postgraduate stuff like overcoming dirty thoughts and overcoming anger, can we begin with this kindergarten thing? Just being good, merciful to others. Let's begin there. Yeah, we shouldn't stop there. We must go on to many, many things. But if you don't begin in the kindergarten, I say, if you don't don't send your child to the kindergarten, he'll never understand what is taught in grade 3 or 4. He has to learn A, B, C, D. He has to learn the 2 plus 2 is 4. Don't skip that. Don't skip it. Humility. Be like a little child. Don't seek to understand complicated doctrines in Scripture. Be like a little child. Humility. No grudges against others, like a little baby. No pride when somebody comes and praises it, like a little baby. Meditate on a little baby. I've done it a lot. It's helped me a lot because Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is a baby. So I've spent many years meditating on how can I be like a little baby. And if that is humility, I tell you, you will get grace. Because God gives grace to the humble and you will get victory. We must start in the kindergarten. That's all I'm trying to say. He went about doing good. And say, Lord, I want to do that. I may not be able to accomplish great things. I may not be able to preach great sermons. But can I just just go around doing good? Can you do some good to your wife? Some little bit of good make life a little easier for her by not being so demanding. Okay, maybe you can't cook. I can't. So I can't help my wife there. But I can be good by not being demanding. We can be so demanding, expecting. And even if we control ourselves and don't express it, inwardly we are a bit disturbed that that person did not do what he or she was supposed to do for me. A little baby is not like that. Jesus was not like that. He would go around to places. I I love that place where it says in John chapter 7, he was in Jerusalem. It was a strange town. That was not his hometown. And at the end of his fantastic sermon, nobody invited him home to his house to spend the night. He was not demanding. He just went and slept under the trees in the Mount of Olives. I say, Lord, make me like that. That if people have invited me somewhere as a speaker, and I finish speaking and it's never happened, but nobody invites me as to where to stay the night, let me go and find some place myself and not expect, why in the world didn't they provide a place for me? Do you have that expectation from people? Why in the world didn't they do this for me? Sometimes parents, when they get old, when their children have grown up, they expect their children, my children do this for me. I tell you before God, I don't expect my children to do anything for me, and, and I'm 83 years old. They do a lot, but I don't live expecting that. I never will. I don't expect people in the church to do anything for me. Because I see that expectation will make you disappointed. and You'll have a little hurt feeling in your heart. Be like that baby. He went about doing good. And what is the way by which we can come to this. We heard of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me show you what actually happens when the Holy Spirit really comes and fills us. You know, I was born again, as I said, 64 years ago. But in the beginning, life was wonderful. But then, when I faced opposition and people rejected me, I began to backslide when I was 30 years old. I was converted when I was 19 and a half. 11 and a half years later, after I'd quit the Navy and I was serving the Lord, working with one whom I felt was the most godly man in India, and he was, who planted churches. He threw me out of his church through a misunderstanding which he never clarified with me, that he heard from others in his group who were jealous of me. And I tell you, that shattered me. It shattered me because I had expected to work with him for the rest of my life. He had conducted our marriage just the previous year. Everything was going well. And all of a sudden, through the jealousy of others, some misunderstanding came and he never even clarified it with me and I was out. And I was not just going to go around preaching any church. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do now. And I tell you, I was discouraged. And I was 30 years old. And when you're discouraged, it's very easy to fall into sin. I'll tell you that. Beware of discouragement. That's why I once drew a diagram with a no entry sign saying, discouragement, no entry, never. I've learned it. And I went around like that, discouraged, discouraged, and for a long time. It was not one or two days. All those years, from the time I was rejected by the one man I respected in India, for, from, when was that, December 1969, all the way to December 1974. Five years. I still served the Lord I went around preaching I didn't lose my gift when the devil was cast out he didn't lose his gifts he's got supernatural gifts today and I didn't lose any of my gifting or preaching even when I was in that discouraged backslidden condition but I don't think I lived properly with my wife I would get angry and discouraged and gloomy and all that till one day when I was right at the foot, uh, right at the bottom of the pit, instead of sending me to hell, Jesus baptized me in the Holy Spirit. Can you believe that? He didn't treat me like people treat a man who's let him down very badly. I let the Lord down very badly. I mean, the reason was I didn't know, what What am I going to do now? It's all as, as though my whole purpose in life was shattered when I was 30 years old by the one man I respected in India. Yeah, it can be very disappointing, you know, if you, if you have a tremendous confidence in your father and trust your dad for so long, and one day he just lets you down so badly. So something like that for me, maybe you haven't experienced it, I did. And then... The Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit and I'll tell you, I didn't shoot up to the top of the mountain, no. But from that day, January the 12th, 1974, I'll never forget that day, in my house, God filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I remember when I came down the steps from that upper room, Annie, who had already been filled with the Spirit before me, said, she looked at my face and said, there was something different. She saw it. I mean, it wasn't shining like Moses or anything, but maybe I looked a little happier or more relaxed. But from that day, the graph of my life, I say this before the Lord, the graph of my life started going up. It never went down. It just kept going up. I don't mean a perfect straight line. There's little ripples, you know, a line line that's going up with little ripples that means not perfect but it's it's been going up ever since that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit did to me and it's now January 75 to 2023 what's it 48 years it's amazing what it does it's not my ability my ability took, took me down into the pit the Holy Spirit's power. That's why I keep on telling people, whatever the price, and I tell you, I fasted and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for days on end. Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I will not be satisfied. I'm I'm not seeking for tongues. No. I wanted power. He gave me tongues. That was another thing. Also, but that was like an added blessing, a bonus. And then, as my life changed, I found slowly, Without an effort, I could be a blessing to others. And one of the wonderful revelations that came to me at that time was that God was my father. I mean, I always knew God was my father. But like most Christians, when they pray, they say, Lord, Lord, do this, and God, do this. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, Lord. That changed in my life. I began to pray, Heavenly Father. You look at your prayers. How do you pray? Father does not come spontaneously. He's usually Lord, God. There's nothing wrong in that. When I wake up in the morning and I talk to God in my bed, I don't say Lord. He is my Lord. I say, Dad, So happy you love me today. I call him dad. Because it says here in Romans chapter eight, Romans in chapter eight, that when the Holy Spirit fills us, you know what happens? Romans eight, Verse 15, we have not received a spirit of slavery or a spirit of discouragement. That's what I had for so many years. A spirit of slavery, discouragement, leading me to fear. What will God do to me? That went away. I received the spirit of sonship. The word adoption, that means sonship. I received the spirit of sonship by which I cry out, Daddy. Now you say that's not what it says there. It's a Hebrew word, Abba. Abba in Hebrew means, in English, daddy. Father is another word. That's translated next, father. Abba is very close to the word used in our Indian languages, appa. Appa means father. It's a daddy. It's it's an intimate expression that we use to our earthly father, daddy. So the spirit comes in and cries out, daddy. Uh Uh-huh. And I see that in public, I never say daddy. Whenever I pray in public, I say father. Because Jesus always prayed in public and said father. But when he was in desperation in the cross, he said, and the Gethsemane, Abba, father. He said daddy. You read that. Jesus said daddy. In the moment of his greatest need, he said daddy. It's wonderful, you know, in our time of need that we have a daddy we can call on. Do you know him like that? I know him like that. And it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that made it. It's not preaching ability, my brother. I had preaching ability before God met with me. I was preaching to 5,000 people when I was 24 years old. God gave me some gift. And that's continued but I came to know him as daddy 16 years after I was born again theoretically I knew him as daddy because people told me hey you're born again you're a child of God that was somebody brainwashing me it's true but for it to become a reality I felt I was like an adopted child but a real child has no problem calling his father daddy the spirit comes in and says daddy And the Lord showed me something which probably I'd read for 16 years but which became living for me at that time and that is John 17:23. For many people, John 3:16 is a great verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a wonderful verse for me and for 16 years of my life, I felt that was the main verse in the Bible. But something happened after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Another verse has become the most important verse for me in the Bible now. It is John 17, 23, which says that God the Father, my Daddy, loves me as much as He loved Jesus Christ. That's a very strong statement to make. And it says here, Jesus prayed for us. He said, I'm praying that I will be in them and you'll be in me, that they may be perfect in me, that the world may know one thing. Not just that Jesus died for their sins, when people look at me and hear me, they must know not only that Jesus died for their sins and Jesus rose from the dead, yes, I have to say that, but that the Father loves me as much as he loved Jesus. Did you read that? How many of you believe that the Father loved Jesus so much? You all believe that. How many of you believe the Father loves you as much as he loved Jesus. And you say, oh no, it can't be. Because you're thinking of your worthiness. I'm not any more worthy today than I was 48 years ago when the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit. His love for us is not because we are worthy. He says, even a mother may forsake, Isaiah 49:15, it's a nursing child, but I will not forget you. How does a mother love a baby that's retarded in some way? Or has got some abnormality? There are babies born with abnormality. They can't cry properly. They can't crawl properly. How does a mother look at that child? A good mother sometimes loves it more than the normal child. Do you feel you're one of those abnormal children of God, not so good as Brother Zach or not so good as some of the others? Do you believe God loves you especially? That's how I feel. I say, Lord, there's a lot of abnormalities in me. Others may not know it, but I know it. But a mother may forsake her child. The Lord says, I will not forget you. I have written you on my palm. And Jesus looks at his palm. And he sees the nail print. He thinks of Zach Fulman. He thinks of you. Believe that, my brother, sister. It'll change your life. It'll change my life. That is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. that will make you cry, Daddy. I thank God that every morning I can wake up and say, Dad, so good to know you. So happy that you look down on me today with such love and concern. I'm not insecure anymore. I don't have to prove something for God to love me. No, I don't have to do anything. What can that abnormal child, which is retarded, mentally incapacitated, but still the mother's child, That child can show nothing. It's probably just lying in bed all day. Mother has to do everything for it. And the mother loves that child. God loves me. If only I could convince you about that today. Your life will be different from today, I guarantee. But I've spoken on this many times and it has not... Many people are not convinced about it and I've discovered that I can't do it. I say, Lord... I read many books and articles and heard many messages on the fatherhood of God. He did not convince me till one day your Holy Spirit came within and cried out, Daddy. So I can only tell this to you. I pray the Holy Spirit who did that in me will do that in you and make you look up to heaven and say, Daddy. One last thing. Jesus said In Matthew 6. When you pray. This is how you must pray. It's not a prayer to be repeated. But it's a pattern. Our father who art in heaven. Matthew 6 verse 9. Don't call him God. Call him father in heaven. A father who loves me. In heaven means he runs the universe. There's no problem he cannot solve. So the first two things I need to remember when I pray is I'm praying to a father who loves me even though I'm not worthy of love and who rules the universe. There's no problem he cannot solve. Otherwise I won't go to him. There's no problem he cannot solve. This is my dad. And you probably didn't know it. This is your dad. You had to know him today. But the other thing I wanted to mention is, not my father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our father. You are part of a family. That's the other thing that became real to me when God baptized me in the Holy Spirit. I was not to live this individual Christian life anymore. I was to be a part of a body, of a fellowship. And CFC started that same year. The first CFC started my home with one other family. Annie and I, another family. And Jesus in our midst. The same year, 1975. It was no longer my father. It was our father. I see so many Christians who are trying to live a holy life and living all by themselves. They they may come and sit in a church. Oh yes, a lot of people go to church. But they haven't become a part of the family. They don't feel, this is my family. I feel that. I go to different CFC churches and say, this is my family. I don't feel distant. They are my family. I'm very eager to know people in my family. Are you eager to be a part of some church? If not this church, I say go and belong to some church. But don't be a wanderer. Don't be a wanderer. Read Genesis 4. When Cain disobeyed God, God said, my punishment to you, Cain, is you'll be a wanderer all your life. It's a strange punishment. You will be a wanderer. It says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 12. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer all your life. I've seen believers like that, who are not part of any fellowship. They may sit in a church, but they are not part of that family. They are wanderers. The curse of Cain, Jesus came to deliver us from that curse. I'll say today, I'm not a wanderer. I'm not a visitor in any church. I'm a part of a family. You must be part of some family. It doesn't have to be this one. RLCF is not the only church God accepts in Loveland. I don't believe that. God's heart is larger than ours. But belong to some family. Don't be a visitor. Don't be a wanderer. Don't live under the curse of Cain. Jesus came to deliver us from the curse. Belong to a family and you choose that. If you're not happy with something here, find some other. But belong to some family and when you do belong, commit yourself totally. We don't want in our physical home, I didn't expect my children to always go and eat somewhere else. They would eat at home. Even if the food was not up to the mark, maybe some other some other woman there cooks better food, but our children would eat in our home. Not because the food was the greatest in Bangalore. No, there were many rich homes in Bangalore which could provide much more excellent food, but our children ate in our home. The simple food, we were not very rich, but they ate the simple food we offered. That is a family. They're not looking for great singing and strobe lights and all types of stuff. That's for people who are wanderers. We're looking for a family. And if the food is simple, it doesn't matter. We love it. Some of the people who get up here and preach, you may think, oh brother, they're not such, not such great message they preach. Okay. None of my children left our home just because the food wasn't great one day. They knew they belonged in the family. Do you belong in some family? Do you get upset? Do you sit here and evaluate every person who gets up here to speaks, Ah, the food wasn't great. So what are you going to do? Go to a restaurant? You can pay money and go to a restaurant, get food, but it's not a family. I would rather eat simple food and be a part of a family. I hope you teach your children that. That's what I want to teach the children, God's children in our church.